0: Mark 14, and we'll pick up where we left off last week. And you know what? Let's go ahead and let's pray again and just ask God's blessing on the Word. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would bless our time in the Word, that you would be our teacher. Father, we know that without you we can do nothing. So Lord, I just ask that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that our hearts would be open and ready to hear. And we ask all these things in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Now, last week, we looked at, just to summarize and catch you up, we looked at the end of chapter 13, which talked about the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know it, the reality is that Jesus Christ is coming back, and and I believe that He's coming back soon. The way we know that, we saw it in the text last week, it said to beware of the birth pangs, the things that will happen before His second coming. And the things that were mentioned there were, were earthquakes, and famine, and wars, and rumors of wars. It also talked about the... About Israel being reformed as a nation, and that this generation shall not pass away till the coming of the Son of Man. My belief is that the generation that saw Israel become a nation in 1948 will see Jesus Christ come back. Again, that's my opinion, but the reality is that three things he said in that end of 13 is he said to watch, be ready, and to pray. You know, as Christians, we need to be watching and be ready that Jesus Christ could come back tomorrow. Amen? He could come back tomorrow. We need to live our lives with a sense of urgency. The Bible says, "Today is the day of salvation." The second thing that we looked at last week is we looked at three different groups and their reactions to Jesus Christ. In the first part of fourteen, we saw the priest. The priests and the scribes are a picture of the religious people of the day. They were the ones that wore the black robes. They were the ones that people paid homage to and said, "Oh, that guy is so religious." And you know what? These three groups that we look at are really, I believe, typify the world today. These very religious people were people that trusted in religion but didn't know what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you can be as religious as you want to be, but you must have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords if you're going to go to heaven. Amen? It's not about, you know, keeping rules. It's not about how many rituals. It's not about how often I go to church and though those things are good. The reality is that we must know, not just know about, but know Jesus Christ intimately and personally. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees did not know Him. And it says that they wanted to kill Him. They wanted to put Him to death. Much like religion today is trying to put Jesus Christ to death. You know, it's all about, it's become a religious country club in a lot of places, where it's not about Jesus anymore, it's become a place where people go, it's like, might as well be the Elks Club. Then we saw, second of all, we saw Judas, and his reaction to Jesus Christ. And his reaction was that he walked with Jesus for three years. He walked with him, he heard him teach, he saw him perform miracles, but at the end of three years, what was Judas' reaction to Jesus Christ? He betrayed him for the price of a slave. He sold Jesus out for the fleshly things of this world. The same thing is happening in the world today. There are many people that have been exposed to Jesus Christ. They've heard His Word be taught, but yet they've chosen the fleshly things of the world over Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we saw the example of a woman by the name of Mary. And what an awesome picture she is. She's the one that took her most valued possession and worshipped the Lord with it. We talked about last week how she had an alabaster flask full of oil. Alabaster was a very precious stone, and it was hewn out to, to carry very fragrant oils and perfumes, and this was worth probably about a year's wages, and she took this most valuable thing that was to be her dowry, that was to be for her wedding day, and when Jesus came to her home, she went in, and she broke that flask of oil and poured it out all over his feet and upon his head, and then it says that she took her hair down, now in those days, the Bible says that a woman's hair is her crowning glory, and she removed her glory to wipe Jesus's feet. She said, It's not about my glory, Lord, but it's about your glory. That's the heart of true worship. Then it says that as she, she did that, that she wept and she cried tears and she worshipped him, and she didn't care what anybody else thought. It would have been scandalous. We know that some of the apostles, Judas in particular, said, you know, what a waste. We could have sold that and given the money to the poor. But their motives really were to get the money for themselves. And we see there that she didn't care about money. She didn't care about the things of the world. She saw Jesus was there. And she said, You know what, Lord, you're what it's all about. And that's the true heart of a believer. It's someone who's desperate for God. It's someone who loves God above all else. Jesus Christ is not just to be first in our life. He is our life. Amen? Philippians 1.21 says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And you were created in the image of God to have a relationship with God. And everything else is just a distraction. You know, we're here. God gave us, God wants us to go do our jobs. God wants us to work. He wants us to be good neighbors and good friends and all those kinds of things. But the reality is that when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? Everything else will pass away. But what we do for Him will endure forever. So she worshipped Him in spirit and in truth. She was humble. She was broken. She was in awe. And she was in awe. And what I love about it is the Lord looked at her and it blessed Him. I talked about last week how one of my favorite words is daddy. Because I love being a daddy. And I love my children to, just to the depths of my soul. I can't even explain it. And those of your parents, you know what I'm talking about. And I love when my kids crawl up in my lap and call me Daddy and want to be near me. And you know what? Our Heavenly Father is the perfect Daddy. Amen? He's called Abba Father. And He desires that we have that personal personal, and intimate relationship with Him. May we worship Him with the heart that Mary had. So we're going to pick up tonight, beginning in verse 12. And we're going to leave off... So we looked, last week we looked at the plot to kill Jesus, then we saw Mary worship at His feet, and then... Then Judas agrees to betray Jesus for the price of a slave. So we're going to pick up there by looking at a feast, a great feast. And the feast was called Passover. So let's begin in verse 12. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? Now, we're first going to look at the preparation for Passover. Now, they killed the Passover lamb. This was always on a set day, and this had been done for hundreds of years. Passover was remembrance of what? Who remembers? What was it remembrance of? Deliverance Deliverance out of bondage in Egypt. And Passover was when, and if if you saw Ten Commandments, right, you saw the movie, right, that was a a dramatized version of it. But what happened was the angel of death came down, and those who had painted the blood on on both sides of the doorposts, on the top and at the bottom, a picture of the cross, those who had painted that blood there, the blood of a firstborn spotless lamb, The angel of death passed over, and they were delivered. And again, a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross, that those of us who have accepted Him as Lord and Savior, when the angel of death comes, He will pass over us as well. So Passover was a remembrance for hundreds of years by the Jews, remembering back to that time when they were delivered out of the bondage in Egypt. And so they were celebrating Passover. And so he says, the day that they killed the lamb, that was on the fourteenth day of Nisan, which is a, a a day in the calendar. And it says, on that day when they killed the lamb, they came to the Lord and said, where should we go and prepare? Now after the lamb, now here's here's the interesting part to me. They had to go out and find a lamb that was spotless. We know that Jesus showed anger in the temple when he went in and he saw them turning his father's house into a den of thieves because they were selling animals at a huge profit, and they were selling animals that were lame and things like that. And the Lord just turned the tables over and it grieved him. But the reality is that when they had Passover, they had to go out and find a firstborn spotless lamb. Now imagine this. We read through this sometimes real quickly and we don't think about it. But can you imagine going out and getting a lamb? And lambs, how many of you ever petted a lamb before? Or you've gotten near one? They're the the kindest, most gentle animals you're ever going to see. You go pet them and bat. I mean, no, they're, they're, You're not worried about them, right? There's are no big threat. They're sheep, right? And they're babies, you're little lambs. And you pet them, and they're just real soft. Now, can you imagine going out and getting that lamb, and then taking that lamb and looking at it in its eyes and seeing, brushing its soft coat, and then holding its its face in your hands and then slitting its throat? And that's exactly what they did. With the Passover lamb. Because they had to make sacrifice. They took that blood and they sprinkled it on the altar. Which was a representation of the coming Messiah. The one who would come to pay the price. And they didn't fully understand. They just knew that the law of Moses said that this is what we're supposed to do. This is what the law says we're supposed to do. So we're supposed to take this lamb. Can you imagine looking into that lamb's eyes. And realizing that the lamb's throat was not being slit because of something it had done. But because of something you had done. It's, it was giving its life because of your sin, because of your wrongdoing. This perfectly spotless, sinless lamb was paying your price. Now, when they would do this ritual and when they would do this, this sacrifice every year, they had no idea what it fully meant. Jesus is going to teach us tonight exactly what it meant. The first day of unleavened bread, unleavened bread was a week-long was a week feast, again, a representation of the deliverance from bondage when they ate unleavened bread. Unleavened was a representation of being without sin. After the Passover and the blood's been shed, then we are without sin. Again, they didn't fully understand it. They knew it was a ritual they were to uphold, and they did it. But they didn't understand. It was all pointing to Jesus Christ. So the they, they killed the animal, and he said, where do you want us to prepare? Now apparently I believe they're still in the home of Mary and Martha where he had been anointed with the oil. And they're still there, but Passover had to take place in Jerusalem. It was the only place that you could go and truly... Uh, have the feast, and make the sacrifice. Now, isn't that interesting? Because where was Jesus crucified? In Jerusalem, just outside the city. So the only place that the Passover could take place was in the only place where Jesus Christ was going to die. It had been appointed before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would die there. So it says to him, Where do we go that we may eat the Passover? Verse 13, And He sent two of His disciples. We know from companion text that it was Peter and John. And He says to them, Go into the city... And, a man, will carry, and meet, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. So, he says, go and find a man carrying a pitcher of water. Now, what's interesting to me is, repeatedly, we see that Jesus Christ is fully man, but he's also fully God. Amen? How many of you could send somebody and tell them what's going to happen when you, you can't do it because you're not God? Amen? There's two facts that are absolutely true. There is a God, and you're not him. Amen? There is a God and you're not it. There's only one God and you're not Him. And so the reality is that Jesus Christ is God. And and as He had many times before, He prophetically told them the truth. He said, you guys go into the city and you will find a man carrying a pitcher of water. Now that might not seem like a big deal to us. But let me just tell you that that was a job that was reserved for women. Men didn't carry pitchers of water. So if they saw a man carrying a pitcher of water, it would be a totally unique thing. And sure enough, when they show up in the city, guess what's going to be happening? A man Carrying a pitcher of water, it reveals Jesus sovereignly in control of every detail. You know, just like what does this remind you of? Remember when he was getting ready to make the triumphal entry into Jerusalem? He sent him and said, "Go find a man, and he'll give you. Ask for his donkey, and he'll be tied up, and just take the donkey and bring it here." The same thing is true with this man with a pitcher of water. I believe God. It's it's awesome to me that this man was probably a slave, and he was probably just serving his master. And in obedience to his master, God was going to use him in a mighty way that he didn't even know. And you know what, guys? We are called, men and women, we are called to be the spiritual leaders in our homes. And we are called to be salt and light in our workplace. And we are also called to to honor our master at work. Do your job as unto the Lord. I believe, as I've said before, we should be the best workers in the building. They should look and say, we want 50 more people just like them, because that's the way Christians should be. We should be servants. And you know what? When we're serving the Lord, when we're serving the Master that God has given us, He will use us mightily, even when we don't know it. This man was just serving his Master, carrying a pitcher of water, and God was going to use him mightily. I believe God has a special reward for those who serve Him in secret. Verse 14. Wherever he goes in, say to the Master of the house, the teacher says, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with with my disciples? Jesus gives Peter and John clear command to speak his words to the master of the house that he would direct them to. You know what? God has given us a clear command that we are to speak his words to those who he brings us into contact with every single day. Amen? He's given us the same command he gave Peter and John. He said, when you go see them, you give them my word. When you find that divine appointment and that man that I'm sending you to, you open up and just tell him my words. And you know what? People don't need Dave's opinion. People don't need your opinion. They need the living, breathing word of God. Amen? Because faith does come by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. My opinion won't change anybody's life, but God's word will not return void, and lives will be changed. So he tells him, you go out, and when you see him, you tell him, I have need of it. Verse 15. Then He will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. Now that word make ready for us, that was not a simple task. First they would have to secure the unleavened bread, the bitter herbs and the wine for the feast. Then they would have to go out and find that perfect lamb. Then they would have to slay the perfect lamb. And after they had slain it, they would have to take it into the court and put the blood in the altar. Then after they did that, they would have to roast it whole and prepare it for the feast. You know what? When we as Christians are called by God, we need to make an effort in our service to Him. Amen? A lot of people think, you know, Christianity is not a cruise ship to heaven. It's a battleship anchored at the gates of hell. Amen? I mean, we're in a spiritual battle every single day. And the reality is that we didn't, God didn't save us so we could just lay back and wait for Him to come back. God saved us and He's gifted us. And the gifts He's given you, He desires to use in you. And and the Bible says, go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. He's called each one of us. He says, make ready. I want you to make ready for my return. Make ready for the Passover feast. So it says there that, that they went out and they did it. Verse 16. So the disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he said to them, and they prepared the Passover. You know what? Every time the Lord gives us a command and then we see the Lord fulfill his commands faithfully, which he always does, doesn't it increase our faith? You know, as the apostles went out, they had to obey the Lord. They had a choice to make right here and now. They could, not, they could choose to not obey the Lord. The Lord said, I want you to go. And they could have said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying right here. Hey, the food's good here. It's warm here. I'm happy. I don't need to go anywhere. They could have just sat there. And as Christians, we have a choice to make. God's got a calling on our life. We don't have to respond. But you know what? I truly believe that there's no one more miserable than the one that knows to do right and does not do it. The greatest joy you're ever going to have in life is taking the gifts God's given you and using them. So they could have sat there, but they didn't sit there, and they went out. And they were obedient. And when they got there, everything was just as God said it would be. What a, what a blessing. What an encouragement. You know, I love when God brings divine appointments into my life. I believe they happen every single day. And you know what? I miss them when I'm not praying for them. When I'm not praying, saying, Lord, help me to, to know and to see. Some of the people in this room, I met you, in, you know, in different, I think of Brandy. Our boys were on the same baseball team. God thing. Amen? You know, we're sitting down talking. We start talking about Jesus. That's a divine appointment. Some of the other people in the room. that's how we met. And you know what? That's a God thing. And we need to look for those divine appointments every day and opportunities to be used for the kingdom of God. Because I believe the Lord brings them. We're, We're called to be salt and to be light. And it says, so his disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he said. Note again, their obedient faith. They sent out by His word. They saw the man, divine appointment. They spoke the words that the Lord gave them, and they prepared the Passover. Let's take a look at the Passover feast. In the evening, He came with the twelve. That's speaking of Jesus. Peter and John, upon completing the, the preparations, they rejoined Jesus and the disciples and returned together to the upper room. And it says, in the evening. And that's significant because the only meal that the Jews ate during the year was a meal. The only evening meal was Passover. They would usually eat earlier in the day, but Passover they always ate between six and midnight. They would never start till six o'clock, and it would go to it was a long meal. It was in it was again in remembrance of their deliverance out of bondage. Now look at verse eighteen. Now as they sat and ate, Jesus said, "As surely I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me." Now as they sat and ate, the word "sat" there is reclined on one side. They were laying down. Now this was a, a very intimate relationship. And the way it worked, it was, it, was like a, it was like a U-shaped table. And they would lay down on their side, and next to one another, and they would reach in and use their hands to dip it into the food. And as they're in this very intimate relationship, and they're having this Passover meal, the Lord says, one of you is going to betray me. Now, the only people that were there were men who would walk with Jesus for three years. They had seen His miracles. They'd heard him teach. Man, what a heartbreaker. So as they ate, now what was the order of the Passover meal? Real quick. They would drink a cup of red wine mixed with water. Then they would ceremonially wash their hands, symbolizing their need for spiritual and moral cleansing. After that, they would eat bitter herbs, which was a symbol of their bondage in Egypt. Then they would drink a second cup of wine, at which time the head of the household... Would Explain the meaning of Passover. Now, for the first time, there's going to be a true explanation of Passover, unlike never before. Then they would sing the Hallel. How many of you ever heard of that before? The word Hallel means praise. And if you look, and look in the Bible, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 was sang by all the people at every Passover. So that means that Jesus and his 12 apostles sang Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. That's pretty awesome. Have you ever thought about Jesus singing worship songs? Isn't that good? You know, and, and what I love about Jesus Christ is He's God, but whenever He teaches, He teaches from the Word. Have you ever noticed that? You know, the road to Emmaus. You remember that story after Jesus was resurrected and two men walked alongside Him they didn't recognize Him? And it says, beginning at Moses, He taught them the gospel, who He was, who Jesus was, from the Word of God. He didn't teach the seven keys to joy. Amen? He didn't teach the psycho, the psycho babble of the world. He didn't teach the opinions of men. He taught the Word of God, and He is God. Jesus taught about Jesus. Isn't that good? He taught the Word. And so what should we be teaching? Amen? The Word of God, not the opinions of men. And so it says here that they sang praise songs. Then the lamb was brought out, and the head of household distributed it with the unleavened bread. Again, both of these things, pictures of Jesus, the unleavened bread and the perfect lamb. Then they would drink the final cup of wine. He says, one of you will betray me. And again, this is an incredibly tragic statement. To be reclined, observing this deliverance from bondage, in a place of intimate fellowship with Almighty God, in the flesh, and yet about to betray Him for the price of a slave. They were going to give up Jesus for the price of a slave. The word hypocrisy means to put on a religious face, keeping the religious ordinances without having a true change of heart. That was Judas. I've had people try to tell me that Judas was just being obedient to God's command. This is the way God was using Judas. Well, let's read the rest of the text and let's find out if that's true or not. Look at verse 19. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? Up to the very end, the disciples did not realize that one of their own would be a traitor. They didn't look at Judas and and see that he was different than them. Judas had fooled them with his appearance. Judas looked like them. He acted like them. From outward appearance, man was fooled. And you know what? Let me just tell you guys this. Let me exhort you with this. You may be able to fool men with your religious walk and your religious talk, but God knows your heart. Amen? Amen? You know what, when we stand before God, it's not going to be, you know, who did I hang out with and what church did I go to? Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. And God knows if you know about Him or if you have a relationship with Him. There are going to be many that said, we prophesied in Your name, we did miracles in Your name, and He's going to say, depart from me, for I don't know who You are. Christianity is not a hope-so, it's a no-so. Amen. I know for sure that by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and asking Him into my life that He has become my Lord and Savior and I'm one of His children. Judas had fooled men, but he would not fool God. Jesus knew His real heart. Now look what it says here in verse 20. He answered and said to them, it is the one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. Now, here's some things that are that are interesting about this. It reveals again our Lord's sovereignty and foreknowledge. He knew Judas was his betrayer, and he knew he was going to dip with him in the dish. But here's some other things I think that are incredible. Judas, for him to dip with Jesus in the dish, the way that they were seated at the table was, and we would see from John's account, that John was seated at his right, and Three people would share a dish. So that means the only other person that was next to him was Judas. And do you know that the place that was elevated as the seat of honor was on the left side? So you know who was seated in the place of honor at the Passover feast? It was Judas. And you know what that shows me? It shows me that up to the very end, Jesus loved him. Up to the very end, he put him in a place of honor. Up to the very end, he washed Judas's feet. That's what Jesus did. It's a picture of God's grace. So the other disciples saw no difference in him. A testimony of our Lord's patience and love. And though Judas lived with him, he ate with him, he traveled with him, he was not a true follower of Christ. Again, many may fool men, but none none will fool God. You know, your position in the eyes of men is meaningless. A lot of times we think it's important. You know, people will talk about how many people work for them. I have 40 people working for me. I have 20 people working. I have about 800 people working under me. You know, whatever. And we think that there's some prestige and our and our, our how we're viewed by men, you know, we, we we look at sports figures and we look at other people with you know titles after their name, and we somehow want to elevate them and esteem them highly, but you know what? The way men view us is meaningless. Your spiritual position with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is everything, amen. Who you are in Jesus Christ is all that matters. Nothing else does. And it says here, the one who dips his hand with me again, he had to be seated in that place of of uh, honor. And he was sharing a bull with Judas even before he died. Now it says here that a picture of God's grace, he's saying, I still love you. But look what it says in verse 21. The Son of Man indeed goes, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed... It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Now let me ask you a question. Does that sound like Judas is being obedient to the will of God he just happens to be a pawn that God's using to get his will done? It says there it would be better for him if he had never been born. That's heavy. Now we've seen God's grace and his continual love for Judas. We see God's mercy and his forgiveness. But you know what? God also is a God of righteous judgment. It says the Son of Man goes, just as it is written of him. Jesus was not a victim. A lot of people think that Jesus, you know, they came and snagged Jesus and crucified him. I had a, a lady ask me one time, why did they call it Good Friday? They should call it Bad Friday. You know, because they took him and they killed him. That was Bad Friday. And I said, you know, if you, if you look at it from that point of view, you're right. It sounds like Bad Friday. But let me tell you something. Nobody killed Jesus. Jesus, nobody took Jesus. He freely laid down his life. Amen? He did it out of love for us. You know, when they came to arrest him, we're going to see this in a couple chapters, you know, he was up on a mountain, and they came carrying torches. Let me ask you a question. If you're sitting on a hill, and hundreds of people are coming out carrying torches, how hard is it to spot those people when they're coming? He saw him coming. Did he run? No, he didn't run, because it was appointed for his time to die. When they came and they said, Are you Jesus of Nazareth? What did he say? I am. And what happened to all the people that came to arrest Jesus? They fell straight back. Boom, flat out. I am the same, the same name for God that Moses heard in the burning bush. Tell me who sent you. He says, I am that I am. And when Jesus said, I am, because he is the great I am, what happened? All the men fall, fell over. Jesus could have spoke the word and smoked them all. But he didn't do that. Why? Out of his love for the people in this room tonight. Because he loved you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He'd rather go to the cross and suffer and die that you might have eternal life. And that's exactly what He did. John 10 says, I lay down my life that I might take it up again. You know, Judas' betrayal was prophesied. He knew it was coming. No one, it says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. When they came to take Him again, He said the words and they fell over. Woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for him if he had never been born. While our Lord's grace and mercy is overflowing, there's a point in time when continued rejection of His grace results in judgment. You know what? Every single person, and people don't like to talk about it, but guess what? Hell is a real place. And Jesus talked about hell. And we've talked about it a couple weeks ago. There will be torment, darkness, separation from Almighty God for all eternity. Hell was created for the devil. And man has chosen to deny God and follow Him. Every single person that spends eternity in hell will reject Jesus Christ over and over and over and over again before He goes there. Nobody will be tricked into hell. It's a choice that men make. Men say, I don't need Jesus Christ. I don't care what you did for me. I've got my own way. I'm going to go for my career. I want to strive after relationships. I've got other things I want to be my God. And when you deny Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then the consequences is the judgment of God. He'd been faithful, he'd been gracious, he'd been merciful, but his judgment came. And while Judas' sin may seem to be the most vile of all time, the same could be said of those who reject Jesus Christ today. It would be good if he or she had never been born. But you might say, well, wait a minute, but but Judas walked with Jesus. He heard the words that he spoke. He witnessed his miracles. How could he betray him? Well, let me ask you something. Today we have the Word of God in our hands. Most of you have one sitting on your lap. We have the living, breathing Word of God. It's right here. We've got the completed revelation that even the apostles didn't have. We've witnessed His miracles. How many you guys have ever seen a rainbow before? anybody see a rainbow today? You know what? Didn't that blow your mind? What? Now, how did that happen? Let me tell you how it happened. God's promised to mankind that He would never flood the earth again. And everybody wants to explain away the rainbow. I see rainbows, I'm like, that's the hand of God. When you look up in the stars in the sky and you see creation, that's the hand of God. I took anatomy class in college. And when you see how complex our bodies are, it's a mind blower. And that's the hand of Almighty God. We have the Word of God. We've witnessed His miracles. And you know what else? His Holy Spirit is drawing every single one of us. How can men today reject Him? How can they be involved in religious rituals, or self-righteousness, or pursuit of riches, or be puffed up with their own knowledge? You know what? We need to be broken and desperate in need of our Savior. Amen? If we think we can get there on our own, if we think we've got our own path, man, we're going to face judgment. For all who reject Him, it would be good for them if they had never been born. It says in John 13 that Judas went out. And Satan entered him, and immediately it was night. And let me tell you right now, it's still night for Judas. He never saw the light of day ever again. And it's been night ever since. Weeping and gnashing of teeth separated from Almighty God. Why? Because he chose his own way. He said, you know what, Lord? I don't need you. You know what? When you wonder what you're worth, your value is determined by what someone's willing to pay for you. And what was paid for you was that the Son of the Living God Himself died that you might have eternal life. You are so valuable. You are His treasured possession. Now look what it says here. He's going to take the what is the last Passover and create the first of the Lord's Supper. And that's what we're going to take tonight, is communion. Now take a look here, beginning in verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Now understand, up until this point, they didn't know it was His body. They knew it was unleavened bread. They knew it represented sinlessness. But they didn't understand that it pointed to the body of Jesus Christ. So for the very first time as they're sitting around this table, he's opening up their eyes to what this Passover meal has really been all about for all these hundreds of years. It's not by chance that Jesus' last night on earth, he's taking Passover, which would become the Lord's Supper. It was appointed before the foundation of the world that he would die on this very day. And they had been observing it all this time without realizing and understanding what it really meant. But Jesus Christ was making it clear to them. So it says here, he, it says next. He says, take ye, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank it. And he said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. So, first he gives them the bread, and when they eat the bread, they ate it with the lamb. And the lamb was a representation of who? Jesus Christ. Who's the bread a representation of? Jesus Christ. The blood's a representation or picture of His redemptive work that was about to happen on the cross. Now, the Bible says very clearly that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. I think it's interesting, when you go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, what did the Lord do to cover them up? He killed an animal. Do you know that prior to that, animals weren't eating each other? Nothing had died; everything was going to live forever. They tried to cover themselves up with fig leaves; that didn't work. They were ashamed of their sin. And what did the Lord do? It said the Lord slayed an animal and covered him up with the animal skins. So all the way back in Genesis, the first time we see bloodshed anywhere in the Bible, it's the shedding of blood for the covering of sin. Amen. So you see it beginning in Genesis, and it ties all the way in to the end of the Bible. And so here he's telling them that this is the blood of the new covenant. Whenever there was a covenant, there had to be a sacrifice. When the old covenant was instated in the book of Exodus, there was a sacrifice when it started with Moses. And when the new covenant was going to take place, there had to be a sacrifice. And this was not going to be the blood of an animal. But this was going to be the actual blood of God. You know what's interesting to me when I took classes in school? They say that the blood that flows through your veins is the blood of your father. The blood that you get comes from your father, not your mother. I think that's interesting. You know what that means? When Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, whose blood was pouring out of his veins? The blood of the father. And that's awesome to me. And so, you know, and that's not by chance it's scientifically that's a fact. So, So here he is, and his blood is being shed, and he's telling them this is for the new covenant. The bread is his body, a picture of his love and his suffering. And, his, and the wine is His blood, a picture of His redemptive work. And again, ratified through His death upon the cross. Ephesians 1.7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Verse 24. And He said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. When they did the Passover, they drank wine a total of four times. This is the third time they're drinking wine and having the bread. There was one more time that the wine was to be drank at the very end of the meal. And the Lord said, I'm not going to drink that last cup of wine with you. Because when we drink that cup, we're going to drink it together in the kingdom of God. Amen? I'm looking forward to that day. How about you? You know, isn't that awesome, though? When When they're going through these rituals, it's all pointing to Jesus Christ. It's pointing to His death on the cross. It's pointing to His redemptive work. It's pointing to the new covenant, and then it's pointing to the day when we will enter into His presence forever and ever and ever. Each one of us, in both remembrance and celebration for what Christ has done for us, is when we, take, when we take the elements tonight. He points out both the immediate cleansing and forgiveness of sins, and the future reward and the glory to come. And again, I'm looking forward to that day. Now, God has made a covenant with man, but I want you, I want you to understand something. The word covenant there does not mean that there's equal parts being done by two sides. The word covenant there means that one side has done it all and the other person only has to accept it. And you know what? Jesus Christ did it all. Amen? And now it's our choice to either accept Him or to reject Him. In Christianity, those are the only two choices we have in our walk with God. Amen? You either accept Him or reject Him. You either know Him or you deny Him. You cannot be kind of a Christian. You either are born again, filled with the Spirit of the living God, in love with Him, or, you, or you're denying that He exists by your very actions, by not accepting Him as your Lord and Savior. So as the supper came to a close, it says in verse 26, And when they sang a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now this is interesting. As the supper came to a close, Jesus and His disciples sang the last psalm. And that would be Psalm 118. And you know what I did? I, I, I just love the Bible. So I opened up to Psalm 118 and I thought... Wouldn't it be interesting to hear the words that Jesus sang right before He went to the cross? What are some of the things that He sang? What are some of the words that came out of His mouth and the words that came out of the mouths of those who were there singing with Him? And I just picked a few of the verses because it's a long chapter. It says, says O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Verse 5 says, I called on the Lord in my distress, and the Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. It says, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Verse 8 says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. Verse 14 says, the Lord is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. Verse 17 says, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Verse 21 says, I will praise you, for you have answered me and have become my salvation. Verse 22 says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Wait a minute, who's the chief cornerstone? Jesus Christ, and they're singing this song as He's going down to be crucified. This is awesome. Man, I love the Bible. I mean, nothing happens by chance in the Word of God, so they're singing about the chief cornerstone, and Jesus Christ is the stone that the builders rejected. And He's going down to be sacrificed. Verse 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made, the day that I'm going to give up my life that you might have eternal life. And this is the day the Lord has made. And verse 29 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Man, what an awesome song. You know, what? we need to start singing more songs out of God's Word. Amen? And that's so good, because here He is. They go and they're singing this song of praise. They're singing this song, Hallel, which means praise, as the Lord is going down to lay down His life that we might have eternal life. He's laying down His life for each one of us. Last four verses, then we're going to take communion. Verse 21. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Now imagine this. They've just had Passover with the Lord, and He's made it very clear to them what Passover was. He's told them for the umpteenth time that He's going to die, but that He's going to be resurrected. And He's going to say it one more time right here. And He's made it clear to them. But then He tells them, you guys are going to deny me tonight. All of you. And then he quotes Zechariah. Again, Jesus speaking, and he quotes the Old Testament. Man, I love that. But it, they just saying, you're my God, I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. They've just been singing that, and now Jesus says, you're all going to deny me. Well, wait a minute, we're just singing that, that we're going You know, and I love what Pastor Don says, you know, Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them right you know i surrender all but we really don't want to surrender all you know, all to jesus i surrender but we don't want to we want to hold on to the world and these guys have just been singing this praise song unto the lord and then he turns to them and says you know what you're all going to deny me you say you don't fear men but you're going to it's so sad and it breaks your heart jesus had just revealed to the apostles that and that he would be betrayed and that the time had come for the redemptive work that he had established a new covenant through the shedding of His blood. He gives clear meaning to Passover. But no sooner did they stop singing than He told them they would fall away. The word used there for falling away implies a desire to be disassociated from Him because too close an association with Jesus would invite treat, the treatment that He receives. You know, if we're too close to You, they're going to treat us the way they treat You. Jesus is about to be mocked, scourged, beaten, tormented, and crucified. And they're saying, wait a minute, if we're associated too close to you, then we're going to have to deal with the same thing you deal with. Understand that these apostles who've been walking with him, this is before Pentecost. What happens at Pentecost? Holy Spirit, because Peter after Pentecost is a different man. Just like you and I are different men and women after we've been born again and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Amen? And so what happens here is he tells them, and to affirm this statement, he quoted Zechariah. Again, he taught out the Old Testament. Verse 28. We're almost done. But after that, after I have been raised, I will go before you in Galilee. So he's telling him, he's told them, I'm going to be crucified. But he says, after that, I will be raised from the dead. I'll be raised on the third day. Over and over. Jesus affirms not only his death and his disciples falling away, but he was going to be raised from the dead and go before them to Galilee. But His disciples, like uh, like on several other occasions, were so overwhelmed with the fact that Jesus would die and be separated from them that they didn't notice the promise of His resurrection. You know what? So often as Christians, we panic or even lose faith at the prospect of potential trials in our lives. We'll say, you know what? I just found out I got cancer. And you know what? That's heavy. And we've got people in our church that have gone through cancer in the last six months. We've got some that I'm praying for every single day right now. And sometimes we want to panic. And say, "Wait a minute! This isn't right. This isn't fair. You know, I just I, you just lost your job. Oh no! What am I going to do?" And we panic because we see the trial, and we don't realize that God will use the trial for His glory. Amen. God is going to use His death that He might be resurrected. The resurrection couldn't happen unless He died in the first place. Amen. He had to die. And, the, and you know what? Your growth spiritually cannot happen unless you go through those trials. Count all joy, my brethren, when, not if, when you fall into various trials. And so when the trial comes, we panic. And you know what? That's what the apostles did. They go, oh, man, you're, you're going to die. All that, oh, and they panic. They don't hear the part about the resurrection. You know, the Lord has promised us many things. With little or no thought for spiritual growth and a testimony to others, think about this. What about the leper? Was he suffering? Did he go through a trial? You know what? No disease, for the most part, can touch leprosy. Pieces of your body start falling off. You're, you basically are dying while you're alive. You start decaying. You're, and not only that, it's so vile that everybody around you treats you like a leper, right? I mean, they say, they say you know, unclean. Anytime you come near them, you're, you, don't, you lose your ability to go to church. You can't enter the temple anymore. You don't have any friends anymore. You're, a, you're an outcast. And you have to go and live among the lepers. Nobody wants to be anywhere near you. Can you imagine the torment of that trial? But can you imagine the blessing that after Jesus Christ touched that leper, and I love the fact that he touched him because nobody else wanted to, amen, and Jesus Christ went up and touched him, and the leprosy went away, and what an awesome testimony to be able to say, I used to be a leper, but now I've been made clean. That guy was a walking testimony 24-7. If you used to have leprosy and now you're walking around and you're all clean, people are going to go, what happened to you? Amen? Why? He had to go through the trial that God might be glorified. And as Christians, we're going to have to go through difficulties and trials that God might be glorified. Amen? What about Lazarus? Did he go through a trial? He got sick and he died. Right? He was dead. They they wrapped him up and stuck him in a cave, man. That's a trial. Right? But you know what's awesome? Is he didn't stay dead. And I love the fact that Jesus came and said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came hopping out of that place, right? He came hopping, and they had to unwrap him. But let me ask you a question. Because of the trial, was Lazarus a testimony? I mean, if you went to someone's funeral, and then they showed up at work on Monday, that would probably be a testimony, amen? If someone died on Friday, and then he comes walking into, wait a minute, what? I mean, you'd be like, nobody would be working. They'd all say, wait, didn't we, was I sleeping? Did he, he died, right? I mean, everybody would be, you can't, this is impossible. Lazarus was such a walking testimony that it says that the scribes and the Pharisees wanted to kill him. You know why they wanted to kill him? Because everywhere he went, everyone, went, that guy used to be dead. What happened to you? Oh, it's Jesus. Really? Yeah, it's all about Jesus, man. You need to be. Oh, that, yeah. I, okay. Right. I mean, the guy was a walking testimony, and the scribes couldn't refute it, and nobody could deny it. So they said, "Oh, man, we got to kill that guy. He just everybody wants to follow Jesus now because he's raising people up from the dead." Well, do you know the same miracle happens today? Each one of us was dead in our trespasses and sins just like Lazarus. And you know what? When we go to work after we've given our life to Jesus Christ, it ought to scare people half to death. They ought to say, What in the world happened to him? Amen? There's a guy who's a, a professional, used to be a professional skater, skateboard guy. He was he was very, very good. You guys won't know him for the most part, but I was in a skateboard shop the other day. I said, How many of you guys have ever heard of a guy named Simon Woodstock? And they'll go, Oh yeah, man, that guy was awesome. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And they go, man, I haven't seen him in a while. Where is he? I said, oh, he's down at Bible college, trained to be a pastor. What? That guy was a party animal. All that guy did was party and do drugs and chase women. He's at Bible college? I mean, these guys were just falling all over themselves. He used to be a rock and roll guy. No, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't equate. I said, you know what? Jesus happened to him. That's what happened to him. Amen? Once he was dead in his trespasses and sins, and now he's been made alive in Christ. And we should be like Lazarus. We should be glowing in the dark for Jesus. Amen? We should be like when Moses came down the mountain, they had to veil his face. When we come into contact with him, it should be contagious with the lost and dying world. And you know what? We're going to have to go through trials that God might be glorified. When you squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice. When you squeeze a Christian, you should get Christ's likeness. Amen? When we go through trials, people are going to be watching. People are going to be seeing what happened to us. And we should be a reflection of our Lord and our Savior. What about your life? When you lose your job, God can use it to get your eyes off of your own sufficiency and get your eyes on His sufficiency. Amen? Real easy to be, have faith when there's a lot of money in the bank account. What happens when you lose your job and all of a sudden, uh-oh, I don't know what the pay, uh-oh, where are we going to get the pay? You know, the Lord has promised that He will provide for you. That doesn't mean you're going to be driving a Mercedes and living in a $10 million house, necessarily. He says He'll provide for your needs, not your wants. But the reality is, when you lose your job, doesn't it drive you to your knees? Don't you stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in Him? It's exactly what happens. What about if you get an illness, cancer, things like that? It causes us again to get on our knees. But even with the numerous promises that Jesus would raise from the dead, three days later, when He rose from the dead, and they came and told Him that He rose from the dead, what did they say? No, He didn't. They came and said, we saw Him! He's risen from the dead! Oh, what have you been drinking, Mary? What, what are you drinking? He's dead. We were there. We saw Him. He told them over and over and over he'd be risen from the dead and they missed it. May we not have that kind of faith. May we live lives where we we believe what Jesus has told us. Let's finish up. We're going to take communion. Verse 29. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. He said, you know what? These other guys, you're right. They're kind of flaky. And you know what? I could see where they might stumble. And you know what? They might not make it. But I'm not going to. You know what, Lord? I'm I'm, I'm right there with you. Right? Peter Peter was famous for being... Speak first, think second, right? Ready, aim, fire. That was Peter, right? But ready, fire, aim is what he did. He didn't aim, he just fired first. And so he was this guy who was so focused on, you know, hey, I'm going to make this happen. And he was trusting in his own ability. And you know what? A lot of times people say that as Christians, we need to be careful and pray for our area of greatest weakness. And I agree that that's true. But I'll tell you what I believe can be our greatest stumbling block. It's not our area of greatest weakness. It's our area of greatest strength. What I mean by that is, The area where God has gifted you the most sometimes can become your stumbling block. Why? Because you're good at it. And you can start relying on you to get it done. You can start trusting in yourself. You can start saying, well, man, I'm good at that. I know how to to do that. I'll just make it happen. Instead of being desperate for God, instead of crying out daily saying, Lord, I need you, we can fall into the trap of thinking we can make it happen in and of ourselves. The Bible says without him we can do nothing. And nothing means nothing. Not some things. It means nothing. And so without him, I can do nothing. So I need to be crying out to him in desperation every day. Lord, I need your help. Because Lord, without you, I can do absolutely nothing. Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you today, even this night before the rooster crows, Twice you will deny me. Three times. But he spoke more vehemently. If, you, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they, all the other apostles said, Likewise. This is another time of Peter saying, not so, Lord, and begins to tell the Lord, well, no, no, these other guys might blow it, but even if I have to die, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna stand strong because I'm a bold individual and I can do that. Now, again, Peter before Pentecost, he blows it. And we'll see it next week. But guess what? Peter after Pentecost was crucified. How many of you knew that? He was crucified and he insisted upon being crucified upside down because he didn't feel he was worthy to be crucified the same way Jesus was. And you know what? That same man, now filled with the Holy Spirit, was willing to die for Jesus Christ. But trying to do it in and of his flesh, he failed. And us as believers, guys, if we try to do it in our flesh and in our might and in our own self-control and our own strength, we're going to fail. But if we die to self and we allow him to indwell us, then we can do it in the fullness of his Holy Spirit. My daughter, I don't know if she's in, I think she's upstairs, she's got a little bracelet. You've seen the ones that say WWJD. She's got one that says F-R-O-G, frog. I'm like, frog? What is that? Frog. She goes, oh, Dad, it means fully reliant on God. Oh, I like that. Frog, I like that. I'm going to get me some frog bracelets now. But it said, fully reliant on God. I mean, WWJD is a great great statement, but without him, I can do nothing. I need to be fully reliant upon God. All the time. I need to be broken and crying out in desperation for him. And Jesus responds authoritatively and tells him he would deny him. And Peter responds again and says, I, not so, Lord. All the other apostles hearing it said, we won't fall either. Ironically, just a few hours after Peter says this, it says there he spoke vehemently and says, I will not deny you. Like in an authoritative way. The same word is used when they said, you're a friend of that Nazarene. You're a friend of Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am not. It's the same word. Isn't that interesting? So the same one, I will never deny you. And then, I'm not a friend of his. It's the same word. So he's speaking the word. I'll never deny you, Lord. And a couple hours later, he's using it to say he had nothing to do with God. Why? Because he was trying to do it in his own flesh. If the worship team can come on back up here. Years later, the Holy Spirit Peter was willing to die. So tonight, here's what we saw. The true meaning of Passover. Now the Lord's Supper. Lamb, Bread, wine, pictures of Jesus Christ, and the new covenant. Jesus' sovereignty and omniscience. The man with a pitcher of water. Judas' betrayal. Peter's denial. We see God's righteous grace. That He put Judas in a place of honor, even right before He denied him. He loved him even to the end. We see His righteous judgment. That even the rejection of Jesus Christ, that results in judgment. And it would be better if he or she had never been born. We see Him predict Peter's betrayal, which we will look at next week. He betrayed the Lord because he trusted in his own fleshly ability instead of being broken and desperate for God. And then lastly, we saw the the faithlessness of his disciples that were so focused on the trial, they were oblivious to the blessings to come. And as soon as the, the enemy came, what did they all do? They all bailed out. They all ran away. I believe that in this country, as Christians, persecution will not get less. It's going to get greater. And you know what? I think we need a little persecution. You know why? Because persecution brings out those who truly love God. The Bible says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. You know what? If you start getting persecuted for your faith, you'll find out who really loves God and who's been playing church. Amen? If they, come in, if they came out tomorrow and said, Anybody shows up for church on Sunday is going to jail. Well, a lot of churches would be pretty empty. Amen? But you know what? I would hope that we would say, You know what? As for me and my house, I'm serving God. I don't care what happens. My, I honor the Lord above all else. So tonight we're going to take communion. And now hopefully you have a better understanding of what it is, as Jesus described it tonight. The bread is a picture of his body which was broken for us. His body was broken. May we never take for granted that crucifixion was the most vile death you could die. You die of suffocation. It's a slow, torturous, painful death. And Jesus did that for you. That's how much he loved you. The wine, or the, in our case the grape juice, is a representation of his blood. The redemptive work that He did for us on the cross. So as we take communion tonight, let's examine our hearts and say, "Lord, just you know, I want to be more like You, Lord, and show me the areas where I've fallen short. And Lord, I know that without You, I can do nothing. And Lord, may I do nothing in my own selfish pride or in my own abilities. But Lord, may I be fully reliant on God. May I be broken before You. May I be desperate for You every single day. And re- and I want to say this too, at Calvary Chapel, we don't have church membership. If you come here, you're part of the church. That's how the church is in the Bible. I don't see membership in the Bible anywhere. When you, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you're in the church, amen? And there's only one church, and it's all the, all the body believers. So if you're here tonight, you know, we don't have close community. You don't have to have been to Calvary tent. You don't have to take a class, nothing. If you're here tonight and you're born again, you've given your life to Jesus Christ, then I invite you to come and take communion. And again, it's, it's a representation of what Jesus did. The Bible says, as often as we do it, do it in remembrance of Him. So what I'm going to do now is the worship team is going to play some music. And let's just begin by examining our own hearts. And say, Lord, just show me any area of my life that needs to change. The Bible says that we're not to take it lightly, that we should confess our sins before we take communion. That we not take damnation upon ourselves. So just examine your own heart. And say, Lord, just show me. And then, as you feel led, come on up and grab the, the communion stuff. And then just go back and sit down. You can sit with your family, uh, with, with friends, whatever you want to do. And then just pray in your small group or to yourself and take the community as you feel led, all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ being God taught from the word. I love that. Lord, I just thank you that, that, Lord, the Passover is past, but now we observe the Lord's Supper because we're not looking forward to a coming Messiah, but, Lord, you've already come. And not only are you are the risen living Savior, but now we are so blessed that in the person of the holy spirit you dwell within each one of us father i pray lord that right now we would examine our hearts lord that you would conform us more to your image lord that we do this in remembrance of you that we would never take lightly how much you loved us and how you were willing to suffer and die that we might have eternal life Lord, we thank you we praise you and we do this action in remembrance of you in jesus name we pray and all god's people said amen